This morning, please, to Paul's letter to the Colossians. While you're turning there, I want to mention something that, in my opinion, a lot of folks don't understand. Let me put it in the form of a statement, first of all. You know, there is a sense in which it would be good if every service was made up of all unsaved people. That'd make it really easy for me to know what to preach. There's only one message that they need, and that's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, what it is that a lot of folks do not understand in this day is that the church was established for believers. And the main purpose of each and every service is for us to to worship God and to edify the Christians. Naturally, we are thrilled when someone is saved. You know, that that's the most exciting thing that could possibly happen in any service. But the work of winning people to Christ is what we should do when the service is over. I don't know where it is, but we have a little sign that one of the doors are used to anyway that says, you are now entering the mission field. And we all need to keep that in mind. When we step out that door, we are on the mission field. We come together that we might worship God, and we come together that we might prepare ourselves, but we go out to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm saying all of that for a reason, because the pastor's main job, contrary to what a lot of people think, the pastor's main job is to feed the sheep. In other words, to help Christians grow, to mature spiritually. And uh, the message this morning is for that very purpose. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, uh, I want you to know that we are very much concerned about you and that we would love nothing more than to see you saved this morning. And we'd be glad to help you and direct you and instruct you any way that we can. Uh, that, That would thrill our heart. But the message itself is directed mainly to those that are already saved for the purpose of helping them walk worthy. And uh, that's the title of the message this morning, Walk Worthy. And here in Colossians chapter number 1, we find our text in verse number 10. Paul says that you might... Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. A short time ago, I sent out an email announcing that I would be starting a new series of, of sermons from Ephesians chapter number 4, uh, and that starts tonight, by the way. And uh, since the title of that series is Walking Worthy, 
I don't know of a better way to introduce where we're going than to consider what our text says today, which uses those very words, walk worthy. These words come from a wise man's prayer. This is a part of Paul's request for the saints in Colossae. And can you imagine what a, what a great encouragement that must have been to those folks to know that Paul was not just communicating with them, but he was actually praying for them. I mean, I try to put myself in their place, and I've had different people over the years tell me, I'll be praying for you, and that meant something to me. But to think about Paul himself praying for me, wow, that would have so much meaning. But I want you to understand we have something even better than that, whether you realize it or not. Jesus himself is praying for you. He is making intercession for you at the right hand of the Father. Now, keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is the one directing Paul as he writes these words. And since the Holy Spirit is leading him to, to make this statement, then we can rest assured that God wants for us exactly the same thing that Paul desired for them. And so it's not like the message is just for those at at Colossae and not for us. This is God's desire for each and every one of His children. At the very heart of this prayer is the matter of pleasing God. And we'll camp there in just a little while. But that's the very heart of it, pleasing God. But notice, in pleasing God, it is required that we do what? Walk worthy. So let's look at those words and think about what it is for us to walk worthy that we might please the Lord. Now, the very phrase itself describes the manner that he proclaims. He says, walk worthy. Now, everybody here understands that. You don't need a dictionary. You don't need an interpreter. Every single one of us we read those two words and we, we understand that, but oh, how we fail. We see what the Bible says, we know what God wants, but at the same time we so miserably fail many times and we fail to walk worthy. The word worthy means fitting. It means proper, suitable. In, in other words, it comes from a word that means having weight and therefore value. And so we're talking about walking in a way that is becoming of a Christian, the way that we should. All of us know and we've all experienced somebody telling us that they don't attend church because there are too many hypocrites. And, you know, they're not justified, but they're right. I mean, you know, if there was only one hypocrite in the church, that'd be too many. But we all know that we live in a day where it's almost impossible to tell the difference between professing Christians and those of the world. And the sad thing about that is our neighbors are looking at us, our relatives are looking at us, our co-workers, our classmates, they have their eye on us. 
And when we live our life in a manner that is unbecoming of a Christian, they take note of that, and whether we like it or not, they judge Jesus Christ based on what they see in us. And untold harm is done as a result of us failing to walk worthy of the Lord. I'll never forget many years ago in Humboldt, Tennessee, the had a Billy Graham crusade over at Jackson, Tennessee, and uh, this one fellow had gone there, an unsaved man, and he had uh, gone to the crusade and listened to the message and had come down to the time of the invitation, and uh, God was dealing with his heart, and he responded to the invitation, and as he walked forward, one of the one of the helpers they take care of all of this before the crusade ever starts. You know, they train these men and women to be counselors during that. And so uh, when they see someone coming, automatically someone is assigned to help that person. And as the fellow come down the aisle, he, he, he told me, he said, I walked down there and he said, I walked up. And the fellow walked over to me, stuck out his hand, and he said, immediately I recognized him. He was a deacon in the church. But he said uh, he was one of the guys that was hanging out at the same bar that I went to. He said, I turned around and walked out of there, and I've never been in church since. What a sad thing it is for us to make the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ something that is repulsive to people. All because we're not walking in a way that is becoming of a Christian. So the command here is that we walk worthy. But notice the motive in this. And it's important that we understand the reason for this. And he says, notice, unto all pleasing. And that ought to be the aim of every single believer. If you're a child of God, it ought to be your motive, your obligation, your responsibility to please God in everything that you do. I love the testimony of Enoch, the man who walked with God, and the Bible says, and he was not for God took him, in that he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, you see, we get it backwards. Instead of us putting the emphasis on us pleasing God... We have come to believe that God exists for the very purpose of pleasing us. Paul spoke about this. He said it would happen, and it has. He said men would be lovers of their own selves. He said they would be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And we see that in this generation more vividly than ever before. Lovers of pleasure, lovers of self. And some way or another, we've got it into our mind that God's sole purpose for existence is that He might make us happy, that He might please us. But the worthy walk demands that we live in a way that, that is pleasing unto the Lord in all things. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do what? His good pleasure. 
Listen to what he said to those in Thessalonica, chapter number 1 of his first letter, or chapter 4, verse 1. We beseech you, brethren, that ye that, that exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. I love what Brother Kenneth said a few moments ago when he was praying about there being no ceiling. And whether it has to do with our love for the Lord, our faith in the Lord, or our obedience to the Lord, there is no ceiling. We are to be always abounding, forever growing, always increasing. And that's what he's saying here in regards to them pleasing the Lord. And notice he says that you would abound more and more. That's God's purpose for us. That's what a worthy walk is all about. It's walking in a way that's pleasing to God. And that being true, in light of that, then there should be no area of our life that is left unexamined. There ought to be no duty that is neglected. We ought to obey every command. We ought to follow every directive. We ought to fulfill every responsibility. We ought to do absolutely everything within our power to please God. You see, that's not just the responsibility of those that are preachers and teachers and officers in the church. That's the responsibility of every single child of God. If you're here today and you claim to be a Christian, you are commanded to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. We're to do that out of love, not out of necessity. It's not because somebody has a, you know, has a a 12-gauge shotgun stuck in your back forcing you to do these things. Rather, it's out of love, because if what we do is not out of love, then it's not accepted by the Lord. It's to be out of love. It ought to be with joy. So many people, you know, they, uh, they act like God is dead or mighty sick or doesn't care, and, uh, and there's no joy, no excitement, no thrill in their Christian life. And it's an awful, terrible testimony when the world sees us without joy. So we ought to serve Him out of love. We ought to serve Him with joy. And, and we ought to do all for the glory of God. Now listen, that involves our actions. The things that we do. It also involves not just our actions, but our absences. Those things that we don't do. And then it involves our attitude. You see, motive matters to God. I can stand here and preach exactly the, the same sermon today that I preached last week. And, and if my motive isn't right, even though the words are a repeat of what I've already said, if the motive of my heart isn't right with God, then it's all in vain. Regardless of what we do, whether it's the giving of our money or our time or using our talent, if our motive isn't right then our service is not accepted. Now keep in mind, this is more than just doing God's will. It's having the right motive in what we do. You can force someone against their will to go through the motion of doing the right thing. 
You can put them in handcuffs, stick a pistol in their ribs and say, you're going to church today. And, you know, march them off to church. After you get here, you can say, and you're singing in the choir today, whether you like it or not, and I'm going to be right behind you. So it's up to the choir you go, and there you are in the choir. You don't look like you want to be there, but you're there, you know. You feel threatened and out of fear. You do what you do. Or it might be the opposite of that. It might be out of reward. Somebody says, well, you know, let's go to church today. And you say, no, I don't think I want to. I've got other things I'd like to do. And you say, "Uh, I'll give you $100 if you go. Oh, well, yeah, I might go with you then. And so you get here and uh, you sit down out there and uh, the person says to you, let's go sing in the choir. No, 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 I can't sing. I'll give you $200 if you go sing in the choir. And so all of a sudden we've got a new choir member. But it's all out of reward. You see, we do a lot of things either out of fear or or with the promise of gain, things that are right and good in and of themselves, but our motive is altogether wrong. So we are to walk worthy of the Lord, but notice it's to be unto all pleasing. And so that includes everything we do. We don't divide our life up into the just the secular and the sacred. It's all holy ground. And whether we're here on the job or in the school or wherever it is, we are to walk worthy of the Lord. You know, it's one thing to to walk worthy of the Lord whenever we're here together like this. And I look around and I, you know, if anyone's mad at me, I don't know it. I mean, they might be, but I don't know it. Uh, Nobody has threatened me. Uh, I look around and I see people that I love and people that love me. And uh, it's a place that I want to be, a place that I enjoy being. I don't have any problem at all coming under, you know, the scrutiny of your eye and you looking at my life. And here I am. I got my Sunday go-to-meeting clothes on, my hair comb, some aftershave lotion. You know, I'm ready to go. Here I am. But it's a whole different ball game when we get out there in the world, you see. We we have this tendency that after we leave the building it's all right to you know, it's all right to let our hair down, so to speak. And and I'm not talking about physical appearance now, I'm talking about the manner in which we live. And and we are to walk worthy unto all what? All pleasing. In everything we do. You you are just as obligated to live for God on the job as you are when you're here at church. You're just as obligated to obey God in the home as you are when you're here in the church. Unto all pleasing in absolutely everything that is pleasing to the Lord. But then I want you to notice the method that he pictures and uh, throughout this prayer, and he mentions several different things related to a worthy walk, and each one could constitute a sermon, and we're not going to do that, but I, I want you just to notice the things involved in the method of walking worthy so as to please God. In verse 9, he speaks about an increase of knowledge. 
Some people haven't grown a spiritual inch in the last ten years. They know no more about the Bible than they did ten years ago. They're not serious about increasing their learning whatsoever. Seldom ever read or study their Bible. And I I want you to understand, that is not walking worthy. That's not pleasing unto the Lord. So he says to the church at Colossians there, he says, I want you to increase in your knowledge. Look in verse number 10. That's all about obedience. Now look at verse number 11. That has to do with strength and patience and long-suffering. And verse number 12, it has to do with thankfulness. Now, we could expand this and we could begin to look at all of the other Scriptures and we could add a lot of other things. In fact, I've, I've done that in speaking about the Christian's walk, that we are to walk with Christ, we're to walk in humility, we're to walk in purity, we're to walk in contentment, we're to walk in faith, we're to walk in righteousness and unity and gentleness and love and joy and light and wisdom and truth. The Bible confirms every single thing I said by using that word walk in regards to those things that I've just mentioned. But notice that all of these things that Paul mentions here, all of the things that are pleasing to the Lord in every instance, they're inward rather than outward, internal rather than external. In other words, these are qualities that ought to exist in every single Christian. And it all takes place within our heart. You know, the Pharisees put on a good show outwardly. Wow, they'd stand down on the street corner and they would parade their their religion. And their self-righteousness was obvious to everyone because although they put it on public display in private, they were a bunch of scoundrels. They were a bunch of sinners. They were people that 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 were so full of pride that it just oozed out of them. And it was obvious to everyone. You, you see, we can put on a good show outwardly, but if, if we're not right inwardly, it's all to no avail. But we get right inwardly, and the outward takes care of itself. Now, there's a little phrase in verse number 10 that generally gets overlooked, but really this little phrase actually sums it all up. He says, notice, being fruitful in every good work. That tells me that God wants us to prosper as much as possible. Now, whenever I talk about being fruitful, I'm not talking about being famous. I'm not talking about being wealthy. I'm talking about the fruit that is produced by the Spirit of God working in the child of God to bring about the will of God. And in John chapter 15, Jesus makes mention of this by way of a parable there. And he said, uh, you know, he's speaking about the vine and the branches. And, And he says, if you abide in me, you'll bring forth fruit. And then he goes on and he says, if you abide in me, you'll bring forth much fruit and more fruit. But notice it's not about us because he says in verse 8 of that chapter, and herein is my Father glorified. In other words, in the bearing of fruit, 
There's a lot of different ways that you can look at that. We won't go into all of the details, but it pertains to our character. It pertains to the things that we do. It's speaking about, for example, the fruit of the Spirit. And he gives a list of nine different qualities, nine different graces that make up the fruit of the Spirit. And whenever someone talks about being a Spirit-filled Christian, it's not how loud they shout or how high they jump or how fast they run. It's not about what we do that is a demonstration of our emotions. As good as that might be, it involves more than that. It's the expression of those things produced by the Holy Spirit. Notice, these are not works. Somebody says, well, I'm just trying my best to love so-and-so. Well, I tell you right now, you're going to fail. You can try as hard as you want to, but you can't love your enemies by trying. It doesn't work that way. God calls us to live a life that is impossible, and the only way that we can do it is to live that life dependent upon Him. And that's why He says there in John chapter 15, without me, you can do nothing. We can't walk worthy. We can't please God. The only way we can be successful, the only way we can be fruitful is by abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice he says, herein is my Father glorified. You see, that is the purpose for which we exist. The Lord said, I've created him for my glory. He says, Whatever you eat or drink, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatsoever things you do, do all what? For the glory of God. That's what it's all about. That's why, that's why He allows us to remain upon this earth. And if I choose to, to live my life in a way that does not glorify God, there's no reason for me to live. God might as well take me home. Oh, I might enjoy the fun and the games and all of that. Eat, drink, and be merry, you know. That might be wonderful. But there's no real purpose for me being here except that I have the opportunity to bring glory to my Heavenly Father. And that's why it is so important for us to please God that we might be able to glorify God. Because in pleasing God, what happens? Well, as we please God, notice he says here, being fruitful in every good work. In other words, God does something within us that can be seen by others. Something that can be only attributed to God. And they look at us and they, you know, they know automatically, oh, he could never do that. that. That had to be God doing that through him. Whenever they start getting that picture from our life, we can be sure we're on the right track. We're walking worthy unto all, pleasing unto God, and He is glorified as a result of it. So the question becomes this, who do you aim to please? If your primary interest is in anything whatsoever other than trying to please God, then you're focused on the wrong thing. And not only will God not be pleased, neither will you. You'll never have a sense of satisfaction. You'll never have that peace that's unspeakable, the joy unspeakable and full of glory. You'll never have contentment. You'll never have a feeling of a real true purpose in life. Your only hope for satisfaction in life is to please God. 
Let that be the rule by which you live. That you be pleasing in everything. And, and, and before we do anything, the question ought to be, will this please God? So many times over the years, people have come to me, you know, and they've said, would it be all right if I do this or that? What do you think about that, preacher? Does the Bible say anything about that? You know, it's, 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 it's a little bit like, you know, that if you've got to ask, you really already know what the answer is. A lot of times I'll come into the other room with the shirt and I'll say something to Bev. Does this look all right? I know what the answer is going to be. Is, you know, is this too wrinkled? I don't know why I keep asking because I know what the answer is. If you've got to ask me, yeah, it's too wrinkled, put it in the laundry, you know. It's... And the question that we ought to be asking ourselves, regardless of whatever it is that we are talking about, is will this please God? Will this bring glory to God? And if it doesn't, well, then we ought not to do it. This ought to be our primary purpose in life. This ought to be our one objective in life, our absolute aim in life, our glorious goal in life, our dearest dream, and our main motive in all that we do. So, let's just sum it all up and put the pieces together. First of all, there is the must of pleasing God. And I use the word must because it's commanded. We must. If we're going to walk worthy, we must please God rather than ourselves. And we see the motive for it. We've already talked about that. We walk in such a manner in order that He might be glorified. And there's a message in all of this. In other words, we are to walk worthy to please Him but also to persuade others. In other words, we ought to walk worthy that we might convince others that Christ is worthy of their consideration. By the way, the very theme of what we sing in heaven is the worthiness of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 5. That's what we're going to be singing about. If we're going to be singing about it there, we ought to be talking about it here. And we ought to let others know, worthy is the Lamb that was slain, because they don't understand that at this stage of their life. They might be a good neighbor, they might be a generous person and all of that, but if they've never been born again, they cannot possibly understand just how glorious Jesus really is. And it's our privilege and our responsibility to show them the difference that He makes. That's the message that we're sending to others when we walk worthy. And then there's the matter of the manner or the means by which we praise God. You know, I think we can sum all of that up in two words. Uh, The words of that old song that says, Trust and obey. Trust and obey. You know, God is looking for our obedience. He's commanded us to obey Him in all things. He's looking to see if we do. But listen, God loves for us to trust Him. You say, well, how do you know that? Because over here in Hebrews 11 and verse number 6, it tells us right here that without faith it is impossible to please Him. 
I think just about every daddy at some time in life, you've had your your child to stand upon the couch or the table or something, and you've stretched out your arms and said, Jump, and Daddy will catch you. That, you know, it just makes you feel good whenever that you, you realize that this little kid is trusting me to catch them. The most impressive thing that you can do in regards to your relationship with God is to trust Him. He loves for His children to trust Him. Instead of us sitting there wringing our hands with sweat on our brow and worrying ourselves sick, God is saying, trust me. Cast all of your care upon me. Why? Because I care for you. A couple of days ago, Bev and I were sitting there and we were talking about the numerous times that we've made big changes in our life. Changes like moving from one state to another, as most of you know, Jason and Kristen and, and Reagan are en route. Somebody told me a while ago they crossed, the, uh, crossed over into, into Texas, so they're on their way here, moving here. And, um, you know, I can identify with that and, because Bev and I have moved so many times. But, you know, contrary to what most people think, preachers are not in the ministry for the money. They're not in it for the fame. They're not in it because they're lazy and they don't want to work. You know, I failed in a lot of things in different ways. But since the day that I was saved, I can honestly say God is my witness that the decisions that we've made in regards to moving from one place to another, that, that money or the size of the church has never been a factor in our decision. The only factor was, is this what God wants? Is this where God wants us to be? Would God be pleased with me being anywhere else? You know, maybe you think, you know, it's easy for preachers to uproot their family and to move from one state to another, but I'm telling you, it's not easy because we're not superhuman. We're just like anybody else, and it's difficult I think maybe the most difficult time of all was when we moved from from Missouri to Tennessee in 1975. And um, I was pastoring a church that, that I had started there, in fact, and uh, loved those people. And as far as I know, they loved me. And if the Lord had said, look, you know, I've decided... Uh, Wherever you want to live, be all right with me. Just just keep preaching, but just live in where you want to. Uh, I would still be there in the Ozark Hills. I, I mean, that's where I'd be. If God, if God had left it open to me back then, I, I would have never moved. Certainly not to Tennessee, not to, not to the west side of Tennessee and all of that flat land and swamps and all of that. You know, nothing but soybean and cotton fields. I mean, who wants to live in a place like that? But God said, that's where I want you to go. I didn't even know anybody there. I did not know one single soul directly in that town. And God said, that's where I want you to be. So we packed up and, and moved. It wasn't easy. 
but it was important. Now listen, I'm not saying any of this to complain. I'm not bringing this up in order to get your sympathy. I'm telling you all of this simply to say that that it, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. And I didn't understand all of the ramifications at that time. And going on, where am I at now? 28 or on the 28th or 29th year here, whatever it is. Come here in 1987. And I didn't understand what all was going on whenever the Lord laid it on, on our heart to, 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 to leave Ludlow, Kentucky and to move down here. Bev and I was talking about leaving all of that stuff up there and had a yard sale. And what didn't sell, we just left. I mean, we left a garage full of stuff, a yard full of stuff, and just when we got the truck full, we were gone and headed down here to Texas. And we don't regret it one bit. And the reason I'm telling you that is this, as I've said so many times before, you would want for yourself exactly what God wants for you were you as smart as God. And when the Lord talks about us walking worthy in a manner that is becoming of Christians, and He puts certain restrictions upon us, and He lays certain obligations upon us, and He says, this is the way, walk ye in it. Do yourself a favor and do what He says, because He has your best interest at heart. And someday you'll look back on it and you'll be able to say, I do not regret one bit the decision that I made. And especially whenever we think about one day standing before our Lord and hearing Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. That will make all of the toils of the road seem as nothing. In that day, in that day, we'll never for one second murmur or complain. We'll never question God. We'll not have any regrets whatsoever. Look, that's not just what I want for you. That's what God wants for you. As I keep saying, God's will is right. It's always right. Whether you understand it or not, it's right. But it's not just right, it's best. But it's not just right and best. God's way is always the safest way in life. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Will you trust Him this morning if you're here and you've never been saved? It's just that simple. Your salvation is a matter of you trusting Him with childlike faith to save your soul. It's a matter of you trusting in His shed blood for the remission of your sins. And He promised He would save you. And if you're here and you've been saved, then God's desire for your life is that you walk worthy unto all pleasing, that you be fruitful in every Good work. God wants to bless you. Don't get in His way. Let's stand. Father, how we thank You for the exceeding great and precious promises that You've given. And Lord, we thank You for the commands, those restrictions that You place upon our life because 
We are so foolish that we'd take the wrong route every time were it not for you. So we thank you for being our, our guide. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for not just putting up with us and tolerating us because of your mercy, but actually desiring to pour out your richest blessings upon us and help us to learn to trust you, to depend upon you, and to, and to live for you, to please you in all that we do. Help us to learn to walk worthy in a way that others can see the difference that Jesus makes and that they too can come to know Him as their Lord and Savior. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.